I was sitting there and I already know what I'm going to preach on this morning or talk about this morning and we're introducing a new series called Mixed Messages and I couldn't help but think about these children being baptized and uh, as they make their way through life they're coming to publicly uh, display their faith in baptism this morning and I couldn't help but think all the mixed messages they're going to hear from this point in their life to adulthood and on out. And, 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 and some of it really concerns me, and I know it concerns you, definitely as parents and grandparents and those of us who support these children and love these children. But you know something? As long as God's truth is being held up, our prayer is that they'll recognize those mixed messages. And so I don't know about you, but I, what I want to talk about this morning is really that whole idea of what these mixed messages can do. So if you have a Bible or whatever you look at God's Word through, I'd like you to turn to two places, Ephesians chapter 4 and Romans chapter 13. Now, just so you understand, I'm going to spend about half of this sermon introducing the whole series because I think it's very important that you understand the premise from which I'm coming as we go through these next uh, five weeks. And so... When it comes to mixed messages, I think one thing that we've noticed over these past several months with COVID is that there are mixed messages everywhere. How many of you agree with that? This doctor says this. This expert says this. This politician says this. I mean, there's all kinds of mixed messages that are out there. And it's not just related to COVID. It's related to almost everything in this life. How about mixed messages from parents? I think many times we, we have those times in our life where our parents kind of send a, a mixed message. One day it's don't play in the street. The next day, well, go ahead and play in the street. You know, I'm, I'm, that was a joke, by the way, okay? But, but it is. We get mixed messages even from those who care about us and love us most of all. How about mixed messages from girls and guys that we're dating? Uh, of course, my dating days are over. I'm not sure I really had any dating days. But anyway, but there's so many mixed messages. How about from your spouse? Uh, my wife can send some mixed messages. She tells me I can do the same to her, but we definitely get them there. College professors will definitely give you mixed messages as you head off to college. Politicians, turn on one channel, you hear this. The next channel, you hear that. This commercial says this, that commercial says that. We, we see it everywhere, social movements. We, we see all kinds of mixed messages, news outlets, and then possibly mixed messages even from the church, even from the church. I want you to look on your outline if you have one in front of you. The sermon series introduction is this. How does a follower of Jesus identify in a fallen world of mixed messages? How do we identify truth? How do we recognize it? How do we see it? And, and notice the word that I, or the phrase I use. I use it very carefully when I say follower of Jesus because I'm, I'm talking about, I think so many times we say Christians and even that sends a mixed message, doesn't it? And then sometimes we say believer and what, what does that mean? If I just believe this or believe that? No, a follower of Jesus is someone who follows Jesus, his mandate, his agenda, his purposes. And so it's very clear. So how do we, who take our faith very seriously, how do we identify truth in all these mixed messages? Of course, the obvious answer is God's word and what the follower of Jesus believes about it. You see, there's a lot of people out there who profess to be believers, who profess to be Christians, and maybe even followers of Jesus. 
in which they look at God's word and they don't necessarily see it as it truly is. And that's where denominations go awry, where churches go awry, where pastors, professors, whatever it may, they look at God's word differently than we are called to look at God's word. And really the question really comes down to this. Is it truly God's word? What does his word say? And this is the key to interpreting truth in this, mess, in this mixed message world. Sorry to say messed up world, but you know what I'm talking about. So what does his word say about himself, you, the world, and truth? That's how you navigate through all the mixed messages. And this is the beginning of term, determining what is truth in this mixed message world. The first thing I want us to look at this morning, this is not on your outline, uh, but I think it's important that we do look at God's Word. What, what does God's Word say about God's Word? The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, right here on the screen, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. It's something that can be used. It's something that you can count on. When it says it's an inspired Word of God, it literally means that, that He actually said it. It comes from Him. It comes from His heart. It goes on. It's profitable for what? For doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. All those things that direct us towards the proper message is, is what it's talking about. Why? That the person of God may be complete. That they can be complete, not complete in this world, but complete in him. Thoroughly equipped for every good work. The only way we're going to do every good work is we got to know what the good work is. And the problem is navigating through all these mixed messages. Now, let's look at what we are seeing here. God's Word. It reveals God's best in a fallen world. God's Word is the ability to overcome the issues of this fallen world. His Word tells us that He loves us. His Word tells us that we can have an abundant and fulfilling life. And it also tells us that there is a life to come. So that's what we know about God's Word. Second of all, God Himself. What does it say about God Himself? Well, the very first verse in the Bible. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He is creator. In Psalms 99.9, it says, Exalt the Lord our God and worship at His holy hill, for the Lord our God is holy. He set apart. There's none like Him. He is creator. He is love. He is just. That's what we can take from that. How about us? What does the Bible say about us? Well, the Bible says, for all have sinned, come short of the glory of God. None of us in and of ourselves meet the standard that God has. We, we don't meet that standard. And, and basically, the good news is this. But God demonstrates his own love towards us. And while we were in that condition, while we were sinners, and we didn't meet the standard, and we didn't measure up, Christ died for us. Wow, what a powerful message. What does this reveal? It reveals that we were sinners, an enemy of God, an object of wrath. And then the phrase, but God, that we love so much around here. But God, we are now an object of his unconditional love. And here's what's great about it. No matter what our past was, when we come to know him as our Lord and Savior, and then it is then that our identity is in him and that we are his child. That is the story of us seen through scripture. How about this? And this is where I want to kind of carry these next several weeks. The fallen world. What does the Bible say about the fallen world? How many of you agree we live in a fallen world? 
Yeah. What does the Bible say about it? Here's what it says in John 1.10. It says this. He, Jesus, which by the way is God's revelation, the perfect revelation is Jesus, okay, was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him because of its fallen condition. John 18, 36, Jesus answered and said, he, you remember the Pharisees and them trying to trap him and, and trap him in these, all these questions? And, and Jesus answered, he says, you see, my kingdom is not of this world. He's basically saying it supersedes this world. It's, I'm, not, I'm not caught up so much in this. I'm, I'm passing through. This is a world in which I've come to die for. And that's my purpose. You go to Ephesians 6, 12, and listen to this. This tells a lot about this fallen world. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. It's in the spiritual realm. You see, this fallen world has a spiritual realm to it. And if you don't believe that, then you're really missing what's really going on. And, and I'll tell you this, the world, when we begin to talk like this, says basically we're a nutcase. You understand that? But that is what's happening. And the reason they don't see it is because of the deception that comes with this world. When you think about what Ephesians 6.12 is saying, it's talking about the complexity of system of lies and deception that are in this world that bring these mixed messages. Think about it. This, this complex system of evil and de deceit uh, is the, the inventor of lies and deception, which explains how a person can reject the greatest love story of all time. Have you ever wondered why people get so bent out of shape about Jesus? I mean, that tells you something. That tells you there's a system of deception and lies when you have the greatest story ever in which in our fallen condition, in the worst case of ourselves, he died to bring us out of that, and the world hates that message. How does that happen? Greatest love story of all time. There's got to be a system of mixed messages filled with deception and lies. It's all right there. I want to read something to you that many of you are familiar with. Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. Uh, verse 18, I want you to listen to what it says. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. You see, here's what, here's what you got to understand. I believe all deception and lies come from the father of lies, which is Satan himself, the enemy. And there's this whole complexity of systems that fall from that. And so basically what he's saying in Romans chapter 1, Paul's basically telling us that man has failed for the deception. Man has failed for the lies, just as Eve did in the garden. So they suppress the truth in unrighteousness because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. He's basically describing an act of rebellion, there was enough there to show you something, but you, you suppress it. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that we're without excuse. It's basically that whole idea, walk outside and look at the creation. Tell me there's not a creator. You keep on. 
reading, and it says we're without excuse because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. There was a darkness that came over them. They kept buying into the mixed message of lying, deceit. And then it says this, professing to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. You know what that literally says? They replaced God with something of their own choosing. They replaced him. Therefore, God also... This is going to be said three times in this passage. God also gave them up to uncleanness and the lust of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves, who exchanged, here it is, the truth of God for the lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Let me tell you what the summation of what this is saying. This is basically saying they refuse to believe God. They refuse to believe his truth. And as a result, God gave them over to the deception of darkness, to the system of evil, to the system of unrighteousness, to rebellion. He gave them over because as a path, they chose for themselves. Now, what do we discover here? We discover, and here's the context I'm talking about, that this world is fallen. Every person not redeemed is fallen. Let me tell you this also. Did you know that even us who are redeemed, who are followers of Jesus, in which we know Christ died for our sins and brought us to a path of redemption, did you know there's still a part of us that's unredeemed that, that comes out every once in a while? How many of you know that by living? It's still there, isn't it? So there's still even a fallenness of, uh, within us. Every man-made system is fallen. You understand that, right? It's under the influence of the enemy, under the influence of deception. Now, what does this lead to? Look here on the screen. The fallen nature of this world has produced, and we're going to talk more about this in the coming weeks, no absolute truth which leaves no truth and much deception. You see, if you don't have absolute truth, if there's not a standard for mankind and everybody's making up their own version of truth, then there really is, when you think about it, no truth into that. It's amazing how someone can say, well, this is my truth, and then another person say, well, this is my truth, and they can contradict and they still call it truth. That's the epitome of deception. One if they're opposing, must not be true. How about this? The fallen natures produce no God, which really sells no hope. It's created a godless society, which means no accountability. It's created evolution over creation. We're going to learn more about this in the coming days, which tells us there's no purpose. And this is the biggie, pleasure over responsibility. It's what I want. It's what makes me happy. No matter what it is, it equals no restraint. And that's what we're seeing in our world today. No restraint. You see, this is where the origin of the mixed messages have come from. And we're watching its destruction play out in our society. Now, some of you came here today, you know, I wanted to see a, a child be baptized, my own child. This is such a great day. Grandparents have showed up. We kind of probably blew you away with some of the music. I get that. It does take a little getting used to. But, 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 but beyond that, you come here, and right now you're hearing a message that you thought, man, I'm going to leave here really energized, I hope, today. Not feeling it so far, are you? 
But did you know there's times when the person of God who's been called of God to present his word has to tell us the tough stuff? And that's what this is all about. You see, the Bible, once again, when we look at Romans chapter 1, professing to be wise, they became fools. You keep reading that chapter. As a matter of fact, you keep reading the rest of the God's Word where it talks about the fallen world, and all you read is deception, destruction, and death. Now let's shift gears. Jesus and this fallen world. Now, let me show you a verse here. Matthew twenty-two twenty-one, And Jesus said to them, you remember they were trying to trap him? They were try, really trying to change the subject. They were really trying to get him in trouble with the government. And so they come to him, and, and they basically said, okay, do we, do we have to pay taxes? You know, you say you're of this other kingdom. Do we have to pay taxes? And Jesus said to them, render therefore to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. Give to the government the things that the government requires, and to God the things that are God's. And then you come to Luke chapter 19, and Jesus said this about his mission. He says, I came to seek and to save that which was lost. Now, what does all that mean? Okay, Jesus enters into a fallen world for the purposes of redeeming us. Here's what it means. It means that Jesus, when he walked on the earth, listen, his only focus and interest was the kingdom of God. The central focus of the Great Commission was, was not a call for the church to be consumed with the matters of this world and, and, and even the government, but a call to preach, teach, and share the gospel. And what Jesus was doing on that day, really, he was kind of deflecting. They were trying to take him off script. They were trying to take him off his mission. And he basically said, you know something, my kingdom is not this kingdom. It's one to come. And that's the way he interacted with the fallen world. Jesus' single focus was to bring salvation to the hearts of people, which is and will be the only thing that will truly change our nation and our society. And Jesus knew that. It wasn't a matter how many taxes you paid or what programs were going to be sponsored. It was all about the gospel. Now, let's take it another step. How about you in this fallen world? What about you? The Bible says in Philippians 3.20, Paul writes this, For our citizenship, for those who are followers of Jesus, is in heaven, from which we all so eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus. We're called, listen, not only to this world, we're called to a higher calling. We're literally citizens of heaven according to God's Word. That's what we are as followers of Jesus. Now, how do we interact while we're waiting on him to come back or before he takes us home. The apostle Paul challenges us to know truth and not fall for the deceptions of this world. That we are to know that Jesus has a, 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 a purpose for us and a calling for us. We can read about it. Look at uh, Ephesians 4. Look at Ephesians 4. I ask you to turn there. Look at verse 11. We come here. Jonathan even alluded this, I think, last week. Here's what it says in 411. And Jesus gave, him, gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. Now, again, what is he doing? He's setting up the structure by which the message of the kingdom would be delivered to the people, right? That's what he's doing. What you're doing, you're sitting here this morning, and there's a pastor teacher standing in front of you trying to explain the principles of the kingdom of God. Okay? That, that's what I've been called to do. That's what you've been called to do. He goes on. Why would he do that? Why would he set up this? 
for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Now, let me say this. None of that will happen. None of that will happen the way God desires it to happen unless we're navigating through the mixed messages to a point that we're finding truth. Now, how, how do you know that, you say? Look at verse 13. Till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man, a mature person, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. And here's why that's so important, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about by every wind of doctrine. How many of you have been around children? I love to pick on grand, my grandchildren. And I'll come up with stories, and I'll sit there, and you're saying, you're giving them mixed messages that's not godly. I'm, I know. <laughs> but, but I do. I like to mess with them a little bit. And I'll start telling these elaborate stories, and, and they'll look at me, and they, they're right there, hook, line, sinker. I mean, they're just listening, listening, listening. And all of a sudden, I'm like, ah, yeah, you believe that? They'll believe anything. They'll believe anything. I've tried it. They'll believe anything. And here's what I'm afraid is happening to the Christian community, to those who are considering themselves followers of Jesus. They'll fall for anything. They'll fall for any message that's out there. If it sounds good, if it sounds right, don't check it with God's word. They fall for the mixed messages. And Paul was saying, don't be that. Don't be the one that falls for the mixed messages of this fallen world. It will only equate to destruction, to deception, and more deception, and defeat. And, and you won't be living the fulfillment God desires for you to be fulfilled in. He goes on, look at what he says. That you won't be those children tossed about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men. There are people, you mean to tell me there's people out there who are intentionally trying to send a mixed message? Please tell me you're not so naive to not know that that's what's going on in this world. There's so many mixed messages out there. In every discipline, in every field, in everything that's man-made, there are mixed messages. And then he says this, in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, that goes back to the whole idea. There, there, there's, there's some big, and you're going to call me nutcase like the rest of the world would, but it seems to be found in Scripture. There's a whole system of deceit that's set up out there that many people are falling for because they don't know the truth. And it's built into every system that's out there in our world today. We gotta know the truth. We need to know the truth. And then he says, verse 15, but speaking the truth in love, that we may grow up into all things into him who is the head, who is Christ. That's the only thing that matters. So what are we pulling from here? God desires to raise up a people who exist outside of the deception of this world and the enemy. That's what this passage is telling us. He wants people that are called his people, those who are not falling for all the mixed messages, who discover truth, who live truth, and who proclaim the truth. So in the weeks to come, this is just an introduction. How many of you are concerned so far? In the weeks to come, we're going to look at key issues that are, that are in, our, in our society where people are falling for the mixed messages and the deceit, the mixed messages of truth, life, what marriage is all about, what salvation is, 
And today, what about the government? The government. And so what I want to do right now, go ahead and turn to Romans chapter 13. Well, I'm going to quickly go through this. And the reason I can is because Romans chapter 13 is something we studied just a couple years ago as we made our way through Romans. And what I want to do this morning is I kind of want to review some of those principles that we studied a couple years ago about government, what its role is, and where we need to navigate when it comes to knowing truth. Okay? Now, some of you are sitting there saying, okay, he's going to tell us how to vote. He's going to tell us, I'm not, I won't mention any candidate. I'm not going to mention any political party. I'm just up here to tell you what God's word says about the government and what our reaction to government should be. The first thing I want you to see on your outline is the nature of government. And this may shock you, but did you know that government is part of God's plan? Some of you are like, do what? Yeah, part of God's plan. We find it right here in Romans chapter 13. Government is divinely appointed by God. In Scripture, God has instituted three different types of institutions. The family, which was the first, the church, and the government. And they all have responsibilities that he desires to be carried out. So if you look at Romans chapter 13, look at verse 1. Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities. Now notice he's not talking about a specific government. He's talking about the governing authorities, okay? For there is really no authority except from God. Now, here's what he's saying. Okay, you got all these governments out there. You're living under this governing authority. It's out there. Here's one thing you need to keep in mind. God's role, what he says, supersedes what you're reading here. Okay, that's really what he's trying to say, okay? It's really his authority, but he's placed it there, okay? And the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Now, some people say, you mean to tell me what brought on the Holocaust and all that was appointed by God? Now, what this literally means when it says it's appointed by God, that it was allowed, that it was permissible to be in such a place. Now, I can't explain why the atrocities that some government has caused over the history. I can't explain that. The only thing I know is it didn't happen outside of God allowing it to happen. And that's if you believe in a sovereign God. And no, I can't explain why the atrocities were something God allowed. I can't explain that to you. I'm just telling you what God's word says. Therefore, verse 2, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God, and those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. Now, let me give you the context of the first century government. When Paul wrote this, he was writing about a government that had an emperor and a senate. Okay? And guess what? They didn't look at Christians as being favorable. Now think about that. Many Christians were dying at the hands of the government. Now how many of you look at that and just scratch your head and say, do what? Really? Right there? I mean, it's obvious. Yeah, I can't explain all that. Maybe it comes out later, but let's look at the next point. The nature of government. Government leaders are God's servants. Look at verse 3. For the rulers, for rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Now, Let me read this to you in the NIV. For rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. Now, let me just say this. That's kind of up in the air right now for a lot of people in our society when you think about it and when you read that. And the thing that we need to keep in mind is this. When it's properly working the way God desires it to work, that's what will take place. But here's what we also need to understand. There are fallen people in everything that the government has put out there. You agree with that? Fallen people. 
People who are this, people who are that, people who don't have this belief are corrupted than this, who are deceived just like we can be deceived. And it's all out there, and it's all man-made, so therefore, it's fallen. But then he says, do you want to be unafraid of the, of the authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. For he, that ruling authority, is God's minister to you for good. When everything's working in, in its right way, when everything is, is on the up and up, guess what? This is a good thing. Now, why can it be a good thing? Well, all through the Old Testament, there are rules, qualifications, and characteristics for leaders. The scripture, scriptures, scripture says that governmental leaders are servants of God. However, here's what we got to keep in mind. The system has fallen, the leaders are fallen, and the people that are being served by it are fallen because we live in a fallen world. It's not going to be perfect. Never will be. Nothing that man has ever created has been perfect, and it will never be until Jesus comes back. Next, the nature of government. And this is the good part. Government is only temporary. It's only temporary. At least this government. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Then comes the end when he, Jesus, delivers the kingdom to God the Father. When he puts an end to all rule and all authority and all power. That will be the supreme justice that we'll find then. No matter what form of government we are under. Listen, here's the thing we need to keep in mind. It's just temporary. We should not fret no matter what happens on any certain election day or however this or who gets this or how this plays out. Who's in charge? God's in charge. And if we don't like it, which many of us probably won't, guess what? He's coming one day to make it right. That's his desire. But he's still in control in the meantime. Next, the purpose of government is to protect human life. The Bible says in Exodus 20, 13, this is part of the Ten Commandments, you shall not murder. In Genesis 9, 6, it says this, whoever sheds man's or a person's blood by man, his blood shall be shed. For, the, for in the image of God, he made him. Now, I want you to think about this. This last verse is it's literally talking about something called capital punishment. It's literally talking about it in the form of a deterrent. And that's what the government is set up for, is to bring about justice. And, of course, they miss that sometimes, but that's the attempt. That's what God's ordained to do, to bring justice, to protect life. And one way the Bible says it can do that is be a deterrent. In Deuteronomy chapter 17, it says that one of the established purposes of government is to protect human life. And I think we all probably agree, even in a mother's womb, even in a mother's womb. The purpose of government is to make laws that protect personal and property rights. The Bible says in Exodus 20, again, speaking of the Ten Commandments, you shall not steal, you shall not covet your neighbor's house, nor his ox, nor his donkey, nor anything that is your neighbor's. Your neighbor's is your neighbor's. <laughs> this is the same one of the purposes of government is to make sure those, fulfill, those commandments are fulfilled, that personal and private rights are taken care of. Next, purpose of government is to handle disputes between people. Isn't that interesting that God set up the judicial system? Isn't that interesting? Deuteronomy 1, how can I alone bear your problems and your burdens and your complaints? Choose wise, choose wise understanding and knowledgeable men from the, your own tribes, and I will make them heads over you. Next, the purpose of government 
is to punish lawbreakers. Romans chapter 13, verse 4, for he is God's minister to you for good. But if you do evil, be afraid, for he who does not bear the sword in vain, for he is God's minister, an avenger to, to execute wrath uh, on him who practices evil. God gives government the right, the responsibility, and the authority to punish evildoers. He's talking about the government. It's given the authority of life and death is really when you read the whole context of what we read in the Old Testament. Next, the purpose and responsibility to government. What should be our response be? Now, here's what we need to understand. That if we are a follower of Jesus, we're not just an American. We have citizenship in heaven. It literally kind of tells us that we have a dual citizenship to country and to God. But let me tell you this. Only God deserves our unquestioned obedience. Only God. You see, there may be some things that are put in place that we can't support because it, super, it, super, it attempts to supersede what God desires. And there's times we've got to do what we feel called to do. And sometimes that's very complex. Many times, I don't know about you, I look at some of the issues we're dealing with today, and they're so complex, and I can't tell if they're so complex because of all the mixed messages, or are they complex because it's just a hard thing to get your mind around, how to deal with this, how should the government deal with that, talking about specifically ours, in which I just have to ask for wisdom. And God's Word says, if I ask, He'll, he'll give. And so sometimes it only can come by what God is attempting to do or show us. So, we are to obey if possible. Romans 5, Romans 13, 5. Therefore, you must be subject not only because of wrath, but also for conscience sake. Now, why is this? We need to understand that God has ordained government. Because God wants us to maintain a clear conscience. And to be honest with you, many times when we can, it's good testimony. You want to see a, a, a picture of grace towards government? You'll find it in the stories of Daniel. When you look at Daniel, you know what you'll find? You'll find that Daniel was a gift to those rulers. That's what you'll find. And you'll find that he, his testimony gave him a platform to speak into the system. And that's something we need to pay attention to as people, even here in, our, in the country in which we live. We need the ability to speak into the system. And we have that ability. I'm getting ready to share that with you. Next, our response to government, we're to pray for, for leaders of our government. Doesn't matter who's in charge. Some people say, I don't like that candidate. I ain't voting for him. I'm not praying for him. I'm not doing this. I'm not doing that. I mean, I hear, I hear, and, and sometimes it's difficult to pray for people that you struggle with. I understand that. But guess what? We're called to pray. We're called to pray. 1 Timothy chapter 2 says this, Therefore I exert first of all that supplications, prayers, and intercession, and giving of thanks be made for all men, especially for kings and all who are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceful life and in all godliness and reverence. Think about it. We are to pray for government leaders because the results of our prayers benefits our lives and it could benefit the spread of the gospel. 
I want you to think about what, how Jesus came into this world. When Jesus came into this world, there was something around the world called the peace of Rome. Okay? There was, it was a phrase. And it's called the peace of Rome. The thing that, that made the gospel, I believe, spread like it did, some people would say, I'll tell you what it, what it did. It was the persecution, and that definitely was probably part of it. But the, the big thing is the, the world at that time was at peace. And there was a message that could be proclaimed through the gospel, and that's what we find in the book of Acts. It went freely because there was a peace there. People's minds weren't associated with war and all these different things. And you say, how do you tie that in? I don't know. Just pray for your leaders because it can benefit us, but it can also benefit the spread of the gospel. And this is one you're not going to like. I don't like it either. Our response to government is to pay taxes. Pay taxes. Verse 6, for because of this, you also pay taxes, for they are God's ministers, attending, continuing to this very thing. Render, therefore, all their due. That's the reason Jesus said, render to Caesar's that which is Caesar, and to God that which is God's. He says, taxes to whom taxes are due, customs to whom customs, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. Next, lastly, our response to government is to influence for good. We are called wherever we are, to influence for good. To not bind to the mixed messages, but su support truth. And here's what it sounds like. Jesus' most famous me message, Matthew chapter 5, says, you are salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. That basically is talking about waste of your influence. And then he says, you are light of the world. So we are called to be salt and we're called to be light. You know what both of those do? They greatly influence things. We are called to be influencers. Jesus seemed to say in Matthew chapter 5, as, the, as followers of Christ, we are responsible to influence our society. We cannot separate our vote from our convictions, no matter how much it may affect our pocketbook, portfolios, or even our traditions. Our traditions. Now, I know what some of you are sitting there thinking. What if this is bad to vote for this way and this bad to vote for that way? If any of you lacks wisdom, <laughs> let him ask of God. I mean, because really, it comes down to that sometimes. And you've got to be discerning. And you've got to filter through all the mixed messages. You've got to find the heart of truth, which brings us to the application. The whole counsel of God's word implies that as a follower of Jesus, that they will be a model citizen, a citizen of submission when possible. You know, there's times where we may not. When possible, of prayer always and of influence. And we have a government that allows us to bring influence by a vote. As followers of Jesus, as I said, we must pay careful attention to Philippians 3.20. Here it is. Our citizenship is in heaven. That takes supremacy over everything. From which we also eagerly wait the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I want to close with these thoughts. We are called to realize that our allegiance, listen, has a hierarchy with God's kingdom at the top. Meaning for us, as citizens of God's kingdom, our perspective and truth begins and ends with God and his word. The hierarchy does not begin with this world, a person, 
or a political party. When it comes to being a citizen of God's kingdom while living in this world, we are to discover God's mind on the matters of this world. And we are to realize that only his purposes really matter when it comes to being a citizen of heaven. So here's what I want you to do. I have sought over these last several months. I don't know about you, but I'm sick of mixed messages. I am. I am so sick of it. I, there's times where I'm like, okay, where can I find truth? God, if you want me to make a decision based on your purposes, what you're all about, where can I find it? Because when I go to this channel, I, I hear something opposite on the next channel. When I hear this communicator, I hear this. When I hear that pundit, I hear this. When I see this commercial about a particular candidate, they're not here. this. What do I do with all this information? So you know what I, I was led to do? I went to the political platforms of each party. I wanted to read for myself what they say about themselves and what they are attempting to accomplish. Because again, I'm not just a citizen of heaven, I'm a citizen of this, of, of this nation. And I wanted to put the best foot forward. Now, it could be that you look at those platforms like I did, and I've read through each one of them, and, and I have my ideas about how God would have me vote or have me participate, and I look at it, and I, I'm here to tell you, it, it's not easy on some things because it, 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 I think that's where you need to start. Just read what they say they're about and what they're going to accomplish without anyone else's input into the system. Because guess what? Every channel, every political pundit, every commercial has an agenda they're trying to lead you down. And you got to find the truth. Go find it there. And then someone said, asked, well, how do you do the comparison? There, there's, uh, well, the, first of all, the parties are right there. Look at that website. I, I, what I did is I attempted to find, go straight to the source instead of finding what someone says about it, and you'll find it right there. And then the Family Life Council, if you're looking for the comparison of party platforms on key issues, you can find things there about that. Okay? And I think that both of those are something you can look at. I want to close with this, and this is on the tables as you leave if you want this. Things to consider when responding to government. And, and here it is right here. I'm going to go as quickly as I know how. We have the privilege to participate in our government by voting and having a voice, and I believe we should, as long as we can. As long as we can, we need to have a voice, okay? Number two, God does not call us to be a Republican or a Democrat. You hear me? <laughs> we may choose to work with a party, but our mandate comes with God, from God, okay? Doesn't say you need to stay completely out. It's just the mandate comes from God. Parties are man-made and are filled by fallen men and women. Our first allegiance is to God, not a political party. Party platforms change over the years, but God's word stands forever. If you don't believe me, the same website that you're going to go to to see the platforms for this year, you can go all the way back to the 1800s to read party platforms, and you'll see how things have changed over the years. So if you say, well, I'm part of this party because mom was and grandma was and her mom was and all that, you might as well throw that out the window. Look for what is there now. Number three, those in leadership, including presidents, are fallen. Daniel worked closely and successfully with those who did not profess his God. Okay? They can be worked with. God can use a broken vessel to accomplish his will and to answer the prayers of his people. Number four, Jesus, when he walked on the earth, 
did not become consumed with government affairs. This is not the driving force of your life unless he calls you into some form of that. Okay? We have to be careful with that. Jesus knew he and his mission was a lead story and is today our lead story. Here's, here's how firmly I believe in that. If we're called to work with a political party or whatever, number one, you better try to find out if it matches up with the purposes of God. But let me also tell you this. If you're called to do that, you're called to do that. Otherwise, you, you need to understand, even through that lens, that Jesus is still the lead story, not a candidate. Number five, we are called to pray for change and influence by being salt and light. Therefore, we do need to be informed with issues, and then we need to participate. Number six, there's never been a perfect vote. Have you ever casted a perfect vote? You haven't. You haven't. We're not voting for perfect people, for perfect parties, nor perfect party platforms. Number seven, we are to vote for what we believe is God's platform on issues, realizing that because we are in a fallen world, it will not translate perfectly nor be clear at times. And that's when we need to go to James 1.5. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives, with all liberally, with liberally, <laughs> who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. Philippians 1.9. And this I pray that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and in all discernment. Now I'm going to close with this. The only way you find truth in a world of mixed messages is you got to know the Word of God. Why is it important to know the word, God's Word? Because that is what's best for you. The Creator of the universe revealed Himself in such a way that He's given you what it takes to live out the fulfilling life, the life that is unconditional love. He's called us to that. I want you to pray for me this coming week. I'm going to be putting together a 32-week uh, prayer guide to pray for our nation. Uh, we'll be handing those out next week. And I want you to pray for me as God leads me to lead you in how we can pray for our nation. And how we can pray for what's going on in our society. How many of you agree that Jesus is the lead story? Amen. How many of you agree we need to get his mind on the matter? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we just come to you and we just thank you so much for your love and your goodness. And Lord, as we look at all these different things, all these mixed messages, Lord, I really believe that those of us who truly know you have been touched by your unconditional love are those who seek truth. And Father, in this world of mixed messages, I pray, Lord, that you'll help us to, to seek your face, not to, to listen to a pundit necessarily or what this person's saying or that person's saying, but Lord, what you are saying to us. Father, we just seek your wisdom in this matter. And Lord, we thank you for who you are and what you desire to do in and for us and through this. We thank you for it in Jesus' name, amen.